This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Sarah Cobb. Hello, how are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? I'm well. That was, I'm glad. <laughs> thank you for joining me on this one like exciting adventure and to talking about you and a bit about you know everything. How are you feeling about it all? Are you feeling like you're going to be interrogated or... <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I'm I'm happy to be here, you know. Um and I'm just happy to have a have a conversation. I don't feel like you're going to be interrogating me. Well, that's um, good. You know. It's all good. Um so before people kind of like don't know much about you, obviously, mm-hmm. because hopefully they're listening to this podcast and learn a bit about you. But um if describe a bit about what you do and who you are. Okay. Um <laughs> I'm a German musical theatre actress living in London in the UK. Um, I've been doing voiceover stuff on the side for, I don't know, five years or so. Um, but because of the pandemic and there suddenly not being any stage work available, I've gone into doing voiceovers kind of full time as a working from home gig, um, which was a nice decision. I'm very glad I did that. <laughs> um, yeah, I live here with my partner and our cat. And oh. I've been in London for, oh gosh, eight years. Eight years I've been in London because I'm old. <laughs> and I'm not really, but I feel old. Um, yeah, I think I, that's me. <laughs> I mean, do you want to point out the elephant in the room that you don't actually sound that German? Oh, thank you. Um <laughs> I grew up almost bilingually um, because my dad spent his childhood in New York City um, and and we lived in Singapore when I was a toddler for two years. And so English has always been around, you know, like um, Disney films and stuff being in English. Originally, we would always watch them in English and... Um, my dad was a huge Friends fan when I was younger and he'd always watch that in English. So that would always be on in the background. And so English was just kind of always there. Um, and then when I moved to London to study dance and musical theater, it just didn't seem the smart thing to kind of be the German with the American accent. And so I assimilated that as best as I could. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I can see the traces of like, um, you know, American esque, um, and you know, can you? I can. Mm. (laughs) It's it's, but it's funny because you, you you also sound very English as well. It's kind of like posh American, Mm. (laughs) which is what I describe it as because um, it's I don't know how that exists. Apparently, posh American is now a thing, Um, but yeah, I feel like that's kind of where your accent. You know, it's almost like the transatlantic. Oh, do you know what though? Because I think I think with American media being so ever present, um, mm. and with you know, there's a newish London accent now that's called um, multicultural London English. Oh yeah. Um, which is kind of basically anything if you're like a foreigner in London or like you've grown up with international people, yeah. that will be your kind of accent. I don't quite sound that because they have more <laughs> of a London twang that I don't have but I think there's a there's a trend towards more kind of international accents just because of globalization um you know yeah no um, that makes sense like I don't know it's like I hear the twangs <laughs> and I hear a little like 
but I, I guess like I've watched a lot of American. I think in Australia we just generally have like American and English mm. shows, and you know SBS, which is our like more worldwide channel, tends to have all the really foreign movies and stuff. And I remember my parents watching like Inspector Rex, which if anyone hasn't ever watched Inspector Rex, it's a German show. Is it? I've never heard of that. With a dog. <laughs> It's, look it up. It's a German show with a dog, and this dog is solving crime, and it's like really weird. I've never heard, when when is that show from? Is it like an oh. old show? Is it oh. like from the eighties or something? No, it was like, like from the yeah, the, um, the late eighties, early nineties kind of era. All of right, TV. but um, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's a very. I feel very uncultured now as the German who doesn't know the German show. Yeah, I know. I was, <laughs> and and like that's the thing as well. Like, I it was one of those shows. I remember just growing up and being like, "Is this what Germany's actually like? Where people just have dogs that solve crimes?" Um, <laughs> not like that at all. I've been to Germany twice. Not to burst <laughs> your bubble, <laughs> but no. <laughs> it was really distraught. In fact, where are the dogs? Um, but no, also like. I remember uh, going to Germany the first time. I think it was like 2014, 15 or something like that. It feels like ages mm-hmm. ago. And it's and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Like the whole of Germany. Yeah, is just... where did you go? I went to Berlin. I also went to uh, the Christmas Town, um, which I think is... Christmas pre- Town? Yeah, Rottenburg. Is it Christmas Town because it's like known for its beautiful Christmas market? Yes, and Christmas themes. Oh, right. Okay. And it's got the schneebels, right. which are very delicious. Where is is that in Bavaria? Oh, no. no, no idea. To be honest, often okay. like you're asking the wrong person <laughs> who knows nothing about geography. All good. Um, but yeah, it was All very good. just try um, and place it. Yeah, well, I mean, like if you you know when the pandemic sort of like suddenly decreases, um, you know, I recommend anyone going because it it is just a really nice place and. Um, Mm-hmm. Like it's probably one of my favorite places in Germany, which it just felt like very. Um, even though it was a little bit of a touristy kind of venture, it was just felt very yeah. nice and sweet. And I think that was always how I pictured. And um, but I also went to Nuremberg mm-hmm. and um, and Bamberg, which is like a small city town. Yeah, those are those are in Bavaria, and they're also known for their Christmas markets. Hence why I asked. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> the then probably Rottenberg is also in Bavaria. Then mm-hmm. you are probably one hundred percent right on that. Um, and probably people listening to this are like, what do you mean you don't know geography? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, but I mean, <laughs> Well, yeah. I'm the one who doesn't know the town yeah. that you're talking about, so it's all good. I feel like you're um, uncultured. I'm I'm uneducated in terms of geography, so I feel like we're both on par. <laughs> um, but no, I feel like th- is there kind of a being, um, you know, having that sort of bilingual nature um, that's, you know, led you to quite a unique um, skill set, I think, as well, and, and opportunities um, being bilingual. I guess so. But, you know, being bilingual isn't that special anymore, especially in Europe. Um, really? Basically, yeah. Um, I mean, not everyone speaks English accent-free, obviously, Like, but everyone our age group, most people speak pretty much fluent English. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Uh, an accent, If I mean, if you're in the performing arts industry, having a strong accent can be a problem, especially if you don't look um, like what your accent sounds like. Um, you know, for example, if you're a Brazilian with a strong Brazilian accent, but you look Northern European, that could be a problem because, you know, the parts that you'd be cast for as the Brazilian, they would want someone who looks 
tan, you know, and with yeah, kind of yeah. dark eyes, dark hair, that kind of thing. Um, so it can get in your way. Um, but also, especially in theatre, it's getting a lot more kind of open um, towards accents and ethnicities in the same way that like colorblind casting is happening and thank god we're finally having a trend towards kind of more body positive casting and you know not not just always seeing the same people on stage um yeah so that's a good thing um most people do try to kind of neutralize their accent as best as possible just because it makes you more versatile but yeah being bilingual isn't that special i i know plenty of people who speak three languages fluently or even four so (laughs) wow okay (laughs) you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't I didn't I didn't realise that was actually a thing where people <laughs> people could do that. Um Well, especially people living in London, obviously not every European, but like if you've yeah. lived in London long enough, of course you'll speak fluent English, you know. You'd hope so. <laughs> like yeah, well I think I think that's also like um it's the same in Australia because, you know, English is our our language and and it kind of makes me go hark back to um mm-hmm. the fact that I think it's not the original language of this country, which you know drives yeah. me batty. That it's um, well, and always also, you guys have big Asian communities, don't we you? Do. Where like everyone surely who's Asian will speak their native tongue as well as English. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of the a lot of the things that we're quite l- lucky about, um, in terms of like our Asian communities, they do teach like Mandarin and and uh, you know and sort of like. They do teach Japanese and they do teach Korean in schools. But the one thing I do sort of think that, you know, because of that, there is, you know, a great aspect to that because you've got so much, you know, um, Asian community down here. But at the same time, the people who do matter um, also are the indigenous people of this land. And unfortunately, a lot of their languages are dead. And that was just, you know... This is the problem I have with being a country as part of the Commonwealth mm-hmm. is is that whole aspect. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, it's the same with the United States and stuff, you know. Any, yeah. any land that's been taken from its people will have that kind of history and that fate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, it's just one of the factors that I really wish if we were to be more bilingual. And I really wish I was more bilingual than I actually am. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that... I think now and, you know, coming to the next, you know, generation that uh, younger kids coming into its school education, I think they really should be teaching more um, local languages and, and you know, not letting the old languages die. Mm-hmm. I mean, thank goodness there's finally, you know, being steps being taken to conserve yeah. um, those languages that still exist. Because I know that, I don't know this that much about Australia, but I know that in the United States there are... Um, native languages that literally only have like two or three live speakers of that language left um mm. you know where they're now making an active effort to talk to the people who do still speak those languages to note them down yeah on paper and digitally so they don't you know so they're kept <laughs> um but it's really sad of course yeah yeah it's it's just it's just a wake-up call i think for a lot of people but i also think that um Mm -hmm. you know as we we said times are changing so it's it's kind of um you know diversity is becoming such a big thing now as well and it's just yeah absolutely um you know that's a bit that's a great thing because it's it's as you say nice not seeing the same people on you know on screen thousands and thousands of time mm-hmm. a time again and uh, you're seeing a lot more people that you would never you know in the last 10 years have yeah. seen in 
on stage or in front of camera. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're not nearly there, yeah. but <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, as long as it continues in this kind of direction. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think I think know. I think it will for many times to come, but I think it mm-hmm. will be like you know, within our lifetime, we'll see massive changes. Yeah, definitely. And um, and then the next generation um, will kind of continue that, hopefully, in the right mm-hmm. direction where it's, you know, <laughs> the art becomes more about, you know, the device bunch of people that exist out in the world. Um, but, um, yeah, was that – what got you into acting? What got you – like, what got you, young Sarah into this whole big world of acting? Do you know – I wasn't an actor until very recently, kind of. I mean, yeah, I um, always wanted to be a dancer. Um, Really? Yeah. When I was younger, I wanted to be a ballerina. And then I grew to be five foot eight and just not with perfect turnout. And that's quite tall for a ballerina. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I, yeah, moved to London to study dance originally. Um, And I did that. I did study dance. Um for musical theatre because I chose a college because then I wasn't completely clear on what I wanted to do and growing up in Germany where the performing arts aren't um, supported yeah. as much as they are here, you know, um, I just didn't even know how how much was out there or what I really wanted to do and the college that I chose, they have a course where you kind of build your general technique in all styles for two years and then you specialise in your third year. Um, and I ended up specializing in musical theater. Um, and then I auditioned for dance jobs for eight months before tearing my ACL. Um, and yeah, I needed surgery and everything. And I did the whole kind of rehabilitation for 18 months. Um, but it just never kind of got back to where it was. Um, and it's also, it kind of robbed me of the joy of dance because it, it became about the injury and I, um, being the huge perfectionist that I am, mm. um, then just always spent my classes comparing to what I now ca- ca- can't do anymore or yeah. what I used to be able to do. And it just wasn't useful at all. And it, there just came a point where I was like, this isn't serving me anymore. I'm not I'm not enjoying this anymore. Um, I'm not really sure why I'm doing it anymore at all. Um, and so then I kind of put that aside and steered into acting and singing instead, because obviously having trained for musical theater, that was always also there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I did I did a kind of evening acting course um, here in London in the Meisner Technique, which I'm really glad I did because it got me out of my head mm. when acting. Um, and then I've been um, investing in singing lessons for the past, yeah, two and a half years now. Um, with a fellow Australian, actually, <laughs> my yeah, my good friend and singing teacher Chris um, teaches me and has been teaching me for the past two and a bit years, and he's brilliant. He's just yeah, he's amazing. Um, I'm very grateful to him passing on his knowledge to me. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I've done that, and I um, the agent that I'm signed with now and have been for nearly a year and a half now. Um, is the first agent who's representing me as an actor, singer, singer, actor, not as a dancer anymore, because it's it's fairly hard to be taken seriously as an actor and singer if you have a dance college on your CV. Yeah. You know, people will always see you as a dancer, but it's obviously problematic when you're not actually dancing anymore. Um, so, yeah, I'm lucky as well to have found an agent who's representing me for the things I actually want to be doing. Oh, that's awesome. I will say this, if anyone also has heard Sarah sing, 
It is very delightful. Um, you have a great voice. Oh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but it's also like, you know, I've never seen you dance, so I can only just comment on, you, on your singing voice and acting. Um, but I mean, mm. like, that's also like, you know, amazing that you've kind of taken something only recently as well, like acting and really done something with it as mm. well as like, um, you know, I can see you kind of, you know, you're going, you know, and doing lots of musicals and doing lots of singing still. Like, that's just, you know. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. I, well, I hope so because you're very good at it. But, um, yeah, it's like, did it all feel like now, probably in the last couple of years, um, despite COVID, feel like a bit of a whirlwind of what was happening in your life? Um, I think once I'd made the decision to stop, pursuing dance it calmed down a lot because I was so I was so conflicted and I felt so yeah just kind of troubled by uh this isn't mm. I'm not as good as I should be or need to be and do I even want to do this anymore that was the whirlwind you know that was just being stuck in a place that was really uncomfortable yeah um and then once I decided to put that aside it actually cleared up a lot um, you know, so like suddenly there was a direction and things that I could do, step by, steps I could take, and there suddenly wasn't this injury in my way, you know, yeah. because for singing and dancing, I don't need to be leaping around. <laughs> um, you know, and the, my dance background definitely still helps because obviously I'm still, I'm, you can, I can still move and I can pick up choreography and things. So, you know, I have an advantage on that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I do think you know, the the industry tends to be, again, that's that's opening up more now, but it tends to be quite um, separated as in like you're either an actor and singer and you can't move or like you can sing, but whatever, or you're an actor or, you know, but yeah. the skills are transferable to a certain degree, obviously. But my dance training has definitely helped me with other things, you know, things like spatial awareness and connection to others and stage presence and physicality, you know, like plenty of actors struggle with connecting their mind and their body, mm. that kind of thing, um, where, you know, coming from a dance background, you can bring useful skills into that. So the same way that a singer would be able to bring vocal ability and health and projection and that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's it's good and important to acknowledge that just because you specialize in one thing doesn't mean you can't do the other. Um, yeah. And that people start, I think that's the biggest thing is, is I know so many incredibly talented people in this industry who box themselves in because that's what they've always been told or that's what they think. And we don't give ourselves enough credit. Yeah. You know, so many, so many people who kind of, I know, say I'm a dancer and I, uh, I can kind of sing, but I'm not a singer. And they're really an incredible singer, you know, um, but they're just afraid to own that. Mm. Um and I think it's, yeah, it's just important that we give ourselves the credit that we deserve for our hard work. And yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of that comes down to confidence. And, but also, as you say, like people do like to put you into boxes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like um, the big thing that I often say to people, you know, and I used to be like that entirely. I think there was a period of time where I was like, oh, I'm only this and I can't, you know, especially when I left school, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor one day. And then that, you know, that dream quickly sort of derailed um, because, you know, a lot of it was down to a bad, ex you know, a couple of bad experiences in high school. And then it was just like, oh, you know, I guess no one thinks I'm that great. So, um, and then, you know, 
you kind of meet all these people in the industry who are, you know, very good at what they do and they're all just going and encouraging yeah. you and going, just give it a shot, give, give mm-hmm. it a try. There's, I think, you know, you can't always listen to everyone just going, you'll always be this because, it, yeah, there's there's so many things that people can be and I think um, one of the, you know, it's like when I told my, um, you know, and I, and I talked to my uh, parents quite a bit and I remember running past like, things with my mother about like doing starting up a podcast and you know and stuff like that and she was always going oh what, when is it financially viable that's always the first question <laughs> it's never the yeah. last question um and i i keep saying to her like not really it's never like it's never about the finance it's more just about yeah. what i what i can creatively achieve and what i enjoy doing yeah and yeah it was a hundred percent um you know it was it was something that one of my friends, Lachlan, he said to me, he was like, it doesn't matter if you have like five listeners or 35 <laughs> listeners. Yeah. It, it really doesn't matter because the point is your, you know, my cup is being fulfilled by creativity and that's all that matters. Absolutely. And I totally, totally took that on board and went, you're right, because yeah. if you let, if you let others govern your life, you're never going to be happy. You're never yeah. going to have these little boxes that you want to tick um be exactly what everyone else wants and and i feel like that is you know where we kind of how i feel definitely about boxes yeah i feel like that was a long a long-winded answer about boxes <laughs> no it's all good i think it's I, that is a, it is a dif- uh, difficult interesting is the word i was looking for um interesting thing i think because People who aren't creatives mm. work to make money yeah. and if they enjoy their job that's a bonus um, you know, but their work is about making a living. Whereas as creatives and as freelancers, not really. Like we've made the thing we love into our work and yes, we need to live and and make money. Yeah. But most of the time when we come up with a new project or something that we want to do, it's it's because we want to do it, not because we want to make money from it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's an, it's just whenever I'm talking to people who have normal jobs, <laughs> you know, um, they, yeah, they, they, their first question is always, is it financially viable? Yeah. Like, are you making a living? Have you been able to, be, I don't know, be cast in a role that pays you well? And of course, all those things are important and what we strive towards, but not everything I do as a creative is about making money. No. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just a foreign concept. Um, you know, to people who don't who don't do creative work, I think that's really like um, you know, it's just kind of a thing when people go, you know, does it does it make you profit? And I totally, um, totally get why people would think that. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, but yeah, financially viable. Um, you know, is- well, because also if you were looking to make a profit, maybe a podcast where. It's just like nice conversations with creatives wouldn't be the first address. You know, like if you were looking to make (laughs) money from something, you'd be doing a different project. 100%. So that's, you know, that's why I find the question a little funny always is because like, well, I'm not stupid. (laughs) You know, like if if money was the thing I was after in this particular project, then I'd probably be doing something else. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, it's kind of always that I think it's also like I am just such a sucker for the arts. 
and I absolutely love the arts to the nth degree. And I will, I'm one of those people who just loves working on new projects and new ideas and constantly work on and brainstorm ideas. And I think it's one of those things that I, I will probably still be like, you know, this when I'm 50. And and that's okay. Yeah, but but yes, it's it's no, it's great. It's not like it's not okay. It's great. You do you know you do what makes you happy and what yeah, I know. But you I, find fulfilling. I, and, I feel like some people are like and, and and this comes from a business perspective. I think a lot of people just go, oh, mm-hmm. you know, um, why isn't it you know, why isn't <laughs> it like you're you know achieved your dreams? And it's like I am achieving them every day. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, but you're still in the same position you were like thirty years ago. And it's like. Yeah, I'm still doing what I love. But a lot of people yeah. assume that, you know, there's always like a chain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we sort of, mm-hmm. we get things wrong. Um, What's that quote? Is it is it a Heath Ledger quote where he's like, everyone always asks, oh, you know, if you're working, if you have a house, yeah. if you have kids, and no one ever asks if you're happy. And it's like... If someone's like, you're still doing the same thing you did 30 years ago, it's like, yeah, I was happy doing that 30 years yeah. ago and I'm happy doing it now. So, you know, um, you don't need to, you know, don't need to change things that aren't wrong. No. You know, if you want to change something, go change it. But if you're already happy with how it is, then why not keep it for as long as it makes you happy? And then if it doesn't anymore, you can still change. That's 100% true. And I think that's like the best way to think about things um, versus everyone else who's like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> yeah, but but again, the model of traditional careers is I do this to reach the next step yes. and the next step and the next step for the you know for the next promotion and the next bigger paycheck and th- and that's you know it's it's all great and it's respectable. It's hard work in its very own and very different right to how creative work yeah. is hard work. It's just a different model, um, and our journeys aren't as linear as that, you no. know. Um, so I think that's what makes it harder yeah and i think also sorry well no 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 i and i also think that um you know with our parents especially people who haven't come from creative backgrounds well at least my dad came from a Mm -hmm. somewhat creative background but mom was an academic and um Mm -hmm. was very much more you know like when you you know you buy a house you get a mortgage you know you have children Mm -hmm. those are kind of like and i think you know those are always kind of the questions that I still get. And, you know, I'm like 29 now. And, yeah. and they're like, when are you going to have kids? <laughs> and I'm like, dear God. Um, mm-hmm. One day, I guess. But, you know, not not in the next, like, five years. <laughs> um, well, you're a male as well. So it's not yeah. like you are in any rush. No. Um, and, I mean, like, how's that for you? Um, so my my dad is a banker. And always has been. He mm. started like le- learning the trade when he was sixteen, and he's been doing it ever since. Um, and he has been with the same company his entire life. They got bought up by another bank, but you know he still stayed with them. So it's been very, very linear for him. Dedication. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he's put so much time into his work, and yeah. I, you know, he loves his work. He's good at it. It's it's all great. Um, but yeah, it's very different from what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and my mum also learned to be a banker. That's how they first met. Um, and then was a stay-at-home mum when I was born and my little brother was born. She stayed home with us. She had her own kind of little business. Um, oh, my God. What was it called? ETFK. 
uh, English time for kids. Ah. <laughs> I think she taught English to um, preschool children. Wow. Um, not exclusively. She I think up to the age of ten. Okay. Um, but it was like a playful English learning thing um, that she ran part time. And then that closed at some point, and then my parents got divorced, ah. and she went back to uni to become a uh, an elementary school teacher. Okay. Um, so my mum's journey is not as linear, but still stuck to kind of very traditional jobs. Mm. Um, and then my mum's parents are doctors, and my dad's parents were banker and housewife. You know, mm. so it's it, very traditional family model. Um, and when I first <laughs> expressed wanting to go into creative arts and being a dancer and stuff, it wasn't really taken seriously. Um, it wasn't really taken seriously up until pretty recently, not completely. I mean, they're supportive and I, lo- I love my parents and I appreciate everything they've done for me. I don't want to come off ungrateful. Yeah. But every now and again, um, there are comments, <laughs> you know, that make quite clear that m- they're maybe thinking it's not forever. Yeah. Or, um, you know, um, like when I got into dance college or when I was auditioning for dance colleges, my mum would always say I needed a plan B as though, I mean, I was 18 years old, like time wasn't running away from me. If I didn't get in that year, I could try again next year and I would just would have been 19 instead. Like <laughs> that was my perspective. I just I didn't think you know, I was in that much of a rush yeah. because I knew what I wanted to do. And if I didn't get in this year, then I will next year, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did get in the first try. But even even after I'd gotten confirmed places at colleges, my mum was still like, why don't you apply to university just as a plan B? And I'd be like, I don't need a plan B. My plan A worked out, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't understand um, that kind of thing. And then when I was going through my Um, knee injury Mm. and of course my parents could see my frustration Um, it really affected me emotionally you know I had like phases of depression and stuff so I don't blame them but they kind of um, individually because they're divorced now so they didn't do this you know together they individually were like maybe it's time to find something else yeah and I was really offended by that because like it was that was my my thing. It was what I wanted to do as my career, um, you know, so I wasn't quite ready to just discard it like that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's time for something else now. Um, that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not more recently. I've not gotten comments like that as much anymore. I think, um, you know, and I think the voiceover business and kind of making money from that has helped as well, because I think my dad's primary worry is maybe that I won't be um, financially stable. Yeah. Um, you know, so like little steps have helped, but there's always, um, there are occasionally just comments that remind me that maybe it's not a hundred percent being taken seriously. Yeah. Um, but you know, but it's just a very uh, different world from how they grew up. So I don't think they, they don't mean anything by it. No, no, no. I think, um, you know, that's just parents mentality. Um, and I think, you know, we're very fortunate in a lot of ways to have parents who are very, I want to say caring and worried about, you know, our safety. In no, the world. and as and as much as like, and as much as comments like that give a way that maybe they have doubts, they have supported me yeah. every step of the way. Um, so I can't, I can't fault them at all. No. Um, and it, you know, I'm very lucky. 
but <laughs> but it's frustrating because it's like and I remember like this you know this yeah every now and again it is yeah, yeah. and I remember the same thing my mum said to me which was like I was in year nine or something and I did a play and she was like she was like you're good but I don't think you'll make money off this like and I was like thanks for the support like but it, I remember that at the time and I was like that really hurt like it was just like I know she I know she meant it yeah as being just like I want you to find a career choice that is stable. But, you know, I get that. It, it was at the same time, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Have you read The Artist's Way? No, I haven't. No. Okay. So for any anyone listening who doesn't know this yet, yes. <laughs> if you do know it, welcome to the club. <laughs> um, it's basically kind of, it's always put in the self-help section and I can kind of see why, but it's not really self-help. <laughs> it's basically a book on discovering your own creativity and just getting back in touch with it. Mm. Um it's basically a 12-week self-study course Wow! to kind of reconnect with your inner child and your inner artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she always talks about that the artist child within. And that's what I think, you know, is that when you say when you were tr- like you acted in a school play and you loved it and your mum's feedback was you're good but you won't make any money. Those are comments that like kill your child, your inner child. Yeah. <laughs> because... You know, you start you start reframing your perspective. You are doing this thing because you love it and someone else kind of comes in and is like, well, fine, but. And just step for step, like step by step, we doubt ourselves. We stop doing the things we love as much because we're starting to, I don't know, have different priorities, that kind of thing. Um, and so the artist's way is a really lovely way (laughs) um to kind of reconnect yeah Mm. with your inner creativity and kind of rekindle the child because i think that's what creativity is it's all play yeah and it's allowing ourselves to play and i think um as children we do we just do you know we whatever we want to do whatever we want to make or build we just kind of go out and do it and we don't think about is is this good is it viable yeah you know what will others think you just kind of go and do it but then as we grow up we stop doing that we kind of forget how to do that and I think a lot of being an, a creative adult is reminding ourselves and relearning how to be a child yeah that's very true and I think it's like you know that it's always kind of the thing that I keep forgetting, especially unless I'm doing like little bits and pieces around or editing mm. something. I kind of forget that, you know, because you, you get a bit bogged down by the technical sometimes, like when you have to edit something or you just go, you're like, oh God, this takes forever. Um, but when you get to play around with something, you're right. Like my little inner child goes, ooh, that's very exciting. And I get to <laughs> muck around and be yeah. super absorbed with everything. Um, but yeah, as an adult, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I kind of just go, oh, I didn't, I didn't think I was so excited by that thing, but I still am. Like, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I think a part of us probably don't ever fully grow up. Like, you know, I, th- yeah. I think what defines being an adult. Oh, growing up is overrated. It so is. What? Who wants to do taxes? <laughs> like, seriously. Oh, no. Uh. Um, <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, it's, I remember when growing up, like, especially, you know, I taught, I remember just like puberty been one of the most foreign, mm-hmm. foreign weird things. And it was like such a competition. Oh, it sucked, didn't it? It sucked so hard. <laughs> and I think it was one of those things that when you're going through puberty, everyone's trying to compete to who gets to the other side first. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
why the fuck would you care? Like, this is awful enough. Let's not make a game out of it. Um, but, you know, like, I, and I just remember that awful period where everyone's, like, starting, you know, go through their, like, I, you know, who they are. And yeah. I think of it, like, it, it was definitely back in the early, late 90s, early 2000s. Like, everything was very much still black and white in terms of, like, um, gender identity and all that. And I remember just, like, yeah, it was very much, Oh, like, mate, I went to a Catholic school. Oh, God, you would have been. <laughs> yeah. Explain that. <laughs> Well, I chose the school, bizarrely, um, because I, well, actually, and I don't think many people know this, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's very in line with fourth grade Sarah. Basically, there was a boy in my class in <laughs> primary school who I was in love with okay. all through primary school. Yep. Like, I had the hugest crush on him. Um, and he expressed wanting to go to that school because I don't know how he found out about it, but he, I knew he was um, applying for it, and it, it's a private. It was a private school, so you had to like interview for it and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that he wanted to go there, I wanted to go there, but I didn't tell my parents that that was the reason. Obviously, like, <laughs> but so, and so for my parents, it just came out of nowhere that I wanted to go to this school. It was like half an hour train ride away, right? There were other schools. Mm. There were four other schools that were closer to home. Yeah. Um, who were like they were all state schools, you know, like. <laughs> They would have been the obvious choice, but yeah, yeah. nine-year-old Sarah was like, I need to go to the school. Um, And yeah, so I applied and I interviewed and I got in. (laughs) Um, Because also I was what in German we would call a Streber, which is basically a massive nerd. Um, And yeah, I I had good grades and I played the violin and stuff. And so the school liked me. Um, And yeah, so I got in, but he didn't. (laughs) Oh, so you did all this work and nothing. Yeah, but I still ended up going because I actually really liked the school because um, oh. it was just it was pretty and it was like, yeah, it it was very well kept. Um, but, you know, it was a very posh school in, in, in hindsight. I don't think I realized that at the time. I don't think 10 year old me even had a concept of what posh is, you know, like. Yeah. Um, but looking back, we were all very white. Um or like 99% of the school was white. Um, and you had to kind of be a Christian to get in um, because it's a Catholic school. So like there weren't any other religions around, Yeah, you know? So it was a very, very same Z pool of people um, that I grew up around. And I didn't realize that at the time, but moving to London really, yeah, really brought my attention to what a kind of sheltered, and slightly weird environment I'd been in. I'm very, like, it was a very supportive school. My experience at that school was lovely, you know, like, I... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, very sheltered, you know. Um, but also, obviously, being Catholic, not <laughs> explicitly tackling LGBT issues or, like, racial mm. issues or anything like that. Um, you know, not... Not to say they swept them under the carpet, but it just wasn't because we're all, we were all white Christians. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah. At the school, you know, it just didn't kind of kind of didn't need to be addressed in that way in that environment because it wasn't present. Um, yeah. And so yeah, but you know, obviously there was a lot of stuff that was problematic. Again, in hindsight, I didn't realize this at the time, but like patriarchy is a huge thing in Catholicism, and 
that trickled down into the school, you know, like the whole kind of boys will be boys behavior. And like, um, yeah, when I was in year six, um, halter neck tops were really in, you know, the the ones that only have straps that go around your neck and then your shoulders are naked. But it's oh, not yeah, yeah, like yeah. a massive cutout back. Right. Like it's just your shoulders are showing. And we had teachers who would send us to the secretary office to get a massive T-shirt to wear on top because we weren't allowed to wear them. Stuff like that. Because we don't have school uniforms in Germany. Ah. Um, <clears throat> so you could wear what you like, but not really, because as a girl, you'd get sent to get the XXL t-shirt. Um, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that, um, you know. And also, kind of looking back, I think, obviously, like, even just st- statistically, people in my year, there must have been LGBT people in my year, you know. Um, but no one was out. Yeah. You just weren't. You know, because it wasn't a thing. And I think and would fully understand if people who did identify as LGBT even at the time didn't feel safe coming out or were scared of Mm. how people would react. You know, um, even though the class that I grew up in were all very lovely, supportive people, um, it's still it just no one really talked about it. And so, you know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um that's always kind of hard as well especially when you're kind of like in a situation like that mm-hmm. because you know you know people of um you know different religions just it's kind of like when it's ingrained in your you know perspective it, it is a little bit hard to tweak mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what you've been taught um which is i totally you know get but at the same Absolutely. time and it's I have a friend who I grew up with, like we've known each other since her birth. She's nine months younger than me Mm. Um, and our parents have always been friends. So I've always known her and we grew up in like the villages next to each other. And she's had a very, very different upbringing than mine because she went to the state school in our town. And where I'm from in Germany, there are a lot of kind of Turkish and Kurdish immigrants. Mm. I say like from the 50s by now, they're not they're not immigrants anymore, you know, Um, but there are there's a very multicultural environment. Um, and so like she grew up with that around with like lots of people of different ethnicities and different religions and different sexual orientations. And so yeah. her experience was so different than mine. I must have come off as such a like I must have had such a massive stick up my ass when I was a teenager. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't I don't know. But yeah, it, for them, it was at that school very, very normal. Um to have different yeah. beliefs and different sexualities and stuff. And I just was completely oblivious and ignorant to it com- completely to the point where moving to London, um, I moved in with two girls slash women who studied with me. And one of them was was and is a lesbian. Um, but me having grown up with American English and being completely obliv- oblivious to other sexual orientations. Yeah. Um, when we first moved in with each other, she would ask me because again, she like she was making sure this was a safe space, right? She would ask me, "Is it okay, is it okay if my girlfriend comes around this weekend?" And yeah, for me, girlfriend just meant girl who's a friend, like <laughs> <laughs> you know, because again, American English and me just not really making the connection. And so I'd always I'd be a little confused. I'd be like, "Why is she asking me if that's okay?" Like, we're we're allowed to have friends over, right? Like, I was just a bit like, why is she asking me? And then the third time she asked me, she just stressed the word differently. And I was like, oh, oh, your girlfriend. And she was like, yeah, I thought you didn't get it. And I was like, yeah, oh, my God, sorry. No, of course, that's okay. Like, even 
even being mm. oblivious, I wasn't a bigot, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not at all. I was just, it was just so not present yeah. in my mind, you know. So I was like, no, of course that's okay. And you don't have to ask me at all. But yeah, it just didn't arrive in my brain at all. Even though she was like, is it okay if my girlfriend comes around? And I was oh, like, man. huh? Why are you asking me? Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, funny. That's a, that's pretty, like, that's so kind of common as well. Um, I feel like probably just, like, in the steps of, like, a lot of people as well. Like, I, you know, in terms of growing up, also in, like, the 90s and early 2000s. It's, I feel mm-hmm. like that was a, a big co- common thing of um but uh, you know i even went to a public school and i think the idea of um any you know bisexuality mm-hmm. was not really a thing i think i only had one friend who was open about that concept mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. no one else in school was like this is the thing you're either gay or you're straight um yeah well and, that's the other thing is like the whole spectrum yeah like of course i knew what gay was but like i was not aware at all of of the LGBTQ plus spectrum and of how many different ways yeah. there are to be different than the norm, you know, like. Did that make you start questioning your own, like, sexuality? It's funny you ask. And I mean, I guess I wasn't planning on doing that, but I um, came out as bi to my boyfriend two days ago. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very, very fresh of me kind of realizing it myself and coming to terms with it myself. Like, I've been mulling it over for. I don't know a year um mm. yeah and then something just switched and i was like yeah i think i am i also think you know tiktok helped <laughs> not yeah. wanting to be the cliche but you know seeing tiktokers tiktoks of being people being like if you're like asking yourself constantly if you're bi you probably are <laughs> you know yeah. like straight people don't ask themselves that question and i was like yeah <laughs> i think um i think that answered the question for me um <laughs> I don't know if that was like immediately um, tied together. I think the yeah. bigger thing for me was growing up in such a male-dominated environment. Like again, school was very, very much like its own little patriarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, having Catholicism around and that it just fosters that kind of environment. Um, and having my parents like divorced um, when I was twelve, and so like at the very cusp of puberty and I think that made me seek male attention yeah a lot you know because my dad was suddenly not around anymore and like that kind of thing so I think um even if I hadn't been at that school I don't think I would have been open to it just because of how my brain was wired at the time and the kind of Mm. attention that I was seeking the kind of connections that I was going for um you know I think um yeah, definitely being just introduced to other options and 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 having them normalized. Yeah, definitely helped. I think if I had stayed in Germany and stayed in similar environments, maybe I never would have realized. I don't know. I think I think that's always hard to tell as well, you know, mm-hmm. because um something that someone pointed out to me ages ago, which is, you know, the, the sexuality is always fluid. So it's sort of like you you just kind of go through everything. Almost like mm-hmm. this, like tidal wave of 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 feelings, and I think that there is an element of that is is true. Like I don't entirely agree with the way they phrased it, but I definitely think that um there is an element of truth, and I think 
um, having, you know, essentially, I remember when I realized um, that I was bi was when I was about 26. And mm-hmm. I told one of my uh, best friends and she was like, I've always known. And <laughs> I said, how did yeah. you realize? And she was just like, um, look, I've known you for seven years now. It's sort of, you just pick up inklings and and I was like, okay. And mm-hmm. but then I sort of like looked, you know, over the last few years, I've sort of looked back at previous Marty, and there are a lot of clues <laughs> that just kind of just go, oh, yeah. Um, we don't we don't realize about ourselves as much. I think I've thought about this. I think anyone who's close to me now and in the past few years, it probably won't be a su- surprise to because every now and again I'd say like throwaway comments like, oh yeah, I've like yeah. considered if maybe I was bi, but I don't think I am. Like I'd say stuff like that. Yeah. Um so, you know, it shouldn't come as a massive surprise to the people who've been around. Um but I think the people I went to school with, if they saw like, I don't know, saw it on social media or like heard me say it in this podcast or something like that, they'd probably be like, no, she's not. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Yeah. Not that I think they're trying to deny whatever my yeah. identity, but like their their experience of me was, yeah, just very much craving male attention, and so it would it would be completely strange to them. Yeah, I think it's also like um you know, I think that's just kind of the thing um with with kind of growing up as well mm-hmm. as you say our experiences around everything, but you know that's just kind of how we shape and who we are. But I also yeah, think absolutely. that uh, um, a lot of how we define, especially like, um, you know, just as people, um, it really mm-hmm. does kind of change over time. And, you know, we're always evolving. We're kind of an, an amazing, you know, you or I will not be the exact same people when we are in our 70s. Like there mm-hmm. will be elements of us having experience and, and, and circumstances that change us and shape us to who we are. Mm-hmm. by that stage mm-hmm. but you know that is a constant um flow of just change mm-hmm. and experience yeah, and absolutely. things that happen and and I think yeah, again it's important to normalize that you know I yeah. think um I I do I'm one of those people who thinks that in a completely evolved society we just won't have any labels anymore because <sighs> what purpose do they really serve um yeah. you know and then in a world without labels you know everyone would be freer. There wouldn't be this massive thing about, you know, the stigma around being trans or the stigma about coming out about having a different sexuality or like changing your preferences, you know, maybe, Mm. you know, 21-year-old you is not the same as 50-year-old you. So, you know, why why pick a label and stick to it for your entire life? It's just, I I think if anything, it's restrictive. Um, Oh, 100%. You know, um, so you're talking to the person who wants to abolish restriction <laughs> in terms of a lot of different things, and I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, with you know, it's it's like um, it's like the taboo. This was like I remember high school, you know, back in like high school and stuff. But it was like the taboo of like, um, you just couldn't talk about sex in front of women. Like it was just a mm-hmm. taboo thing. And nowadays, because I have a lot of female friends, it's just like the amount of you know, mm-hmm. just stories I've heard about a female anatomy, like in you know, in terms of you know, periods and stuff like that. But as well as well, like, but isn't that sad as well as a man? Because if you can't talk to sex, uh, talk about sex to women, but also the way you talk about sex to your guy friends is very restrictive. Because yeah, if you get too emotional, you'll get labelled as gay, 
as though that's yeah. a bad thing, but that's a different box. Um, <laughs> you know, like you, yeah. it's, you know, it's just, there's no, for men, there's no safe way to really discuss sex because your dad didn't learn to talk about it properly. And now you're growing yeah. up in the same environment. You can't talk to women because, uh, I don't know, it's icky or embarrassing or like what, I don't know. Yeah. And you can't talk to men because there's only one way to talk about it. And that way is like, oh my God, guess who I banged yesterday? You yeah. know, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah it's it doesn't serve anyone again it doesn't serve anyone it doesn't help you grow it only it only restricts you and it only means that you can't talk openly about your sexuality to anyone so yeah i think i think that's very true and it's sort of like it's it's such more of a you know once you take the guard down and you just have mm-hmm. an open frank conversation and i think that's been the mm-hmm. advantage i've had growing up with so many female friends is I've had that advantage where I had the ability to talk about a lot of these things and yeah. not feel like ashamed to be like, you know, and then so many of, yeah, but it is sad when I know friends who find it that very confronting, like a confronting conversation to be like, oh, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, you know, say your part, your sexual partner identifies as a woman and, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and how are you going to talk about that? Like, mm-hmm. and you know, how are you going to talk about you know being intimate with them? Like, how are you going to talk about anything of being in? Yeah. Or, you know, or what if you you know sexual partner identifies as a man or as a non gender specific? Like, mm-hmm. you're going to have to be able to talk about these things. That's very, I think, very limiting to what people, um, you know, that want to achieve in life. And and you got to have these conversations where you open the can yeah. of worms. And, you know, the can is big. It's not a small can <laughs> where everyone's like, no, oh, it's just a small can. Well, it's but like, again, no, you- people people are afraid of things getting messy and having yeah. to face their own shortcomings or having to take responsibility for things. Um, oh, yeah. Know, so it's it's a difficult progress uh, pro- process. Progress, process, it's both. <laughs> Can't talk English today. <laughs> it's because, I, I tell you why, it's because I've been living with my also German boyfriend in our flat for the past year with basically not speaking English to people like so so I'm a I am a privileged person listening to you talk English <laughs> I'll take that um but no you because you've recent you know because of lockdown now you've been living with your partner now for the last you know year and a bit yeah we we just I mean we were long distance before because he lived in Berlin and I was here in London already yeah um and we wanted to move in together anyway like it had nothing to do with COVID it just so happened that our um tenancy started the weekend before lockdown number one (sighs) um yeah so we went from being long distance and only seeing each other, I don't know, one or two weekends a month to spending every waking hour together um, and sleeping hour because we obviously share a bed. So like, <laughs> we just, yeah, we we just went straight to never being apart, which sure, like it was a bit difficult at first, mostly for him because he's an introvert and he's very much someone who needs time alone to recharge his batteries. Yeah. Um, I'm not as uh, not as much, um, you know. I am more the side of the spectrum where I really missed socializing with other people. Mm. Um, as much as I love him, I'm craving output uh, input from other people. Um, yeah, and kind of social exchange. Um, so that 
yeah, those were the things that we've had to kind of figure out <laughs> for ourselves over the past year and a bit. Um, but overall, we, we're very lucky. We get along very, very well. Um, <laughs> we, considering the fact that we have spent so much time straight together, um, yeah, it we've had very few fights. Um, and we still like each other. Well, that's a blessing. <laughs> if anything, we like each other more. So we're very, very, very lucky, um, you know. But it could have, it could have gone horribly wrong, you know. Oh, I know. Um, so <laughs> very grateful that it didn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think you're very lucky. I think yeah, you're yeah. very lucky in terms of that. I also though, you know, you can't because how long are you? Were you long distance prior to moving in together? Um. We met almost three years ago, um, so we were together for like a a year and a half, a year and three quarters before moving in together. Okay, so you've been sort of together almost two and almost three years. Yeah, like a year and a half, and we're we're together now for nearly three years. Um, yeah, it it wasn't like completely fresh, but it's also not like we'd been together ten years before moving in together, like. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I mean, like, that's always kind of like the thing of just being like, oh, god, um, yeah. you know, what's this going to be like? Uh, this experience, and um, you know, my experience of lockdown was moving in by myself, oh, right, for the first time, and then getting literally trapped uh, in between work and my apartment. So, th- that was interesting. I mean, of- it could be worse because like, imagine living in a flat share with people you don't like during lockdown. That's true. I mean, that would be worse. Yeah, I get being like being alone is very isolating and lonely and stuff, but it could be worse. (laughs) (laughs) Unload that for future when it's like it could be worse. (laughs) Um, But yeah, absolutely, it could be. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, like you know, I came between work and here. I just came home. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, caught up on a lot of movies and I caught up on a lot of things Yeah. in terms of just like, and I had, I had events where I could socialize with people online, mm-hmm. but it wasn't kind of like, um, you know, the, essentially I was just like, I want to, I want to network again and I want to yeah. do the things I love. How, and I think, how is the situation um, in Australia? Because I think you guys got over the pandemic a lot quicker or like. We, you took well, better steps than than Europe did, I guess. Well, look, we we didn't, we didn't. Um, it was a very, it was a very like, I I can give the government like the respect that they did do a good job mm-hmm. in getting like reducing the 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 people getting it. Well, I think because I think the main thing like, that they did is close the borders quite early on, didn't they? And people were stuck, and it sucked for them, but like it minimized travel it definitely minim- minimized travel i think everyone's going to be a bit itchy feed about where w- wanting to travel overseas and i've sort of refused now for the next couple of years but <laughs> i'm just one of those people mm. but um yeah i mean like i think that we've done pretty well like everyone's here in australia everyone's on the um everyone over 50 is getting the astrazeneca and yep. everyone under 50 gets the pfizer yep. unless you've sort of like got special permission yeah. to get the pfizer or vice versa um and my parents are about to get the um the vaccine and i mean i'm probably gonna have mine by the end of the year yeah which you know but that doesn't automatically i think this is also the thing is everyone thinks that the vaccine like once it jabs into you they just go you'll be protected for yeah. life and everyone's like well no no you're not gonna be you gotta still take 
safety precautions. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think that the, this is the, this is the thing. I always take a look at it as a history point of just being like, these will be the next like three years, you know, because it's probably going to be a three year kind of big global pandemic mm-hmm. kind of situation because, you know, and unfortunately, and I was talking to one of my friends whose wife is, um, works with um, biology and, you know, mm-hmm. and basically understands a lot about how, how this works. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that the most likely scenario is we'll have to have a yearly vaccine or some sort yeah, of, yeah, it yeah. will come like the flu. Oh, where they're just, already developing it where they're trying to develop a jab that is the flu jab and the COVID vaccine in one. Ooh. Yeah. That's, that's already in the works. That's um, going to be lethal. Well, hopefully not. Like, you know, hopefully not. Um, A friend of mine's dad or sister is on a trial for that. Oh, okay. I can't remember which because their dad and sister are both on separate trials for COVID vaccines, but I can't remember who's on which one. But yeah, that's already in the works. So fingers crossed. How Have you lost anyone due to the COVID yet? No, thank goodness I haven't. I know people who've had it. Um... But they've recovered. <laughs> mm. um, and I know my dad's girlfriend had, um, I think it was three. I, her lung collapsed um, for the first time wow. just over a year ago, which was obviously awful timing. Yeah. Um, and it and it collapsed again twice more before she had a surgery to fix it because the surgery was very invasive and so they were trying to fix it differently. But yeah. Mm. Um and obviously, having had that surgery and having had that kind of health problem going on, I don't know what you call that in English, actually, but in Germany, I'm sure you have it, but I don't know what the name is. Basically, in Germany, when you have um, either like a chronic disease or a very invasive surgery or something like that, um, they send you on something we call Kur, which is kind of like a rehabilitation holiday. It's not really a holiday, obviously, because you're doing like things for your health, but you're in like a yeah. a spa town that has a thermal bath and like just just facilities where you're working on your health. Yeah. Um. And so she went there for I think it was six weeks. Um. To kind of work on her lung stamina and her fitness and to kind of you know just get get healthy again and she was surrounded by people recovering from covid um whose lungs obviously also were in awful shape (laughs) um for different reasons but yeah and so she was in touch with firsthand with people who had recovered but had recovered kind of just barely or were left with chronic difficulties and stuff and um so yeah i have a few accounts of why it's very worth it to just stay careful, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's just, it, it for me, it's just, I know a couple of friends who have lost family members and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, um, you know, it is tragic. And it just, you can't imagine, mm-hmm. especially, you know, what some of these people are going through, having lost, you know, brothers and mothers and fathers and sisters and, all, all kind of different people in their family. Yeah, and it's just, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 very troubling times. And it's so sudden uh, and there's no way to be with the people who are dying and that I think that's the most heartbreaking thing. Yeah. You know, it's just that they're just kind of taken from you and there's nothing to do. There's no way to even comfort them. Um, It's just really horrible. But then I think um a massive problem over here is that the government has been 
basically reassuring people that only the elderly are at risk. Um, only the elderly and people with chronic diseases and like the the kind of mass mentality is oh well I won't die from it but even if you don't die from it there are people who've been paralyzed because of COVID just because of how the virus affected their immune system or their body or like people who lost their their lung function and they can't exercise anymore or like people who have coughed so much that they blew up their vocal folds and they can't sing anymore and stuff like that and I just don't I don't want to risk that no you know I don't know how if I catch it I don't know I might be lucky and basically only have the flu and then get over it but I might be unlucky and be stuck with a chronic disease or with like chronic symptoms for the rest of my life and I don't I don't understand why people aren't more worried about that. I know that yeah. Seb and I can come across as quite paranoid because a lot of our friends have been socializing more again. And like when we now, because now that that people are getting vaccinated and the numbers are staying kind of consistently low, we feel a little more safe to socialize with people. But yeah. we're still very much like, let's meet outdoors and distanced. Like I have no no wish to be in a crowded bar. Like absolutely none. none. <laughs> um, and I I just I, I understand the urge to get back out there and to socialize and to, you know, I, I get I know what it is to feel lonely and to feel like you're missing out on things. I completely get it. But I just think it's more important to stay safe until most people have been vaccinated and until the virus has basically been eliminated from our everyday life. I think it's important. But yeah, yeah. I think I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think it's you know it, it goes back to uh, you know like you know our announcements um uh, like you know going everyone will have the vaccine by the end of the year mm-hmm. and there's been slow rollout but also like every time i see a media outlet they're like oh you know the, the, you know they'll talk about blood clots and all that stuff because you know obviously you have to mm-hmm. inform the public of health things mm-hmm. but whenever they get a fact wrong everyone just goes mm, maybe i won't get the vaccine yeah. because you start questioning and then you know they they're telling people, don't worry, get the vaccine. We need you to get the vaccine. But then they're also going, here's the facts. Yeah. And everyone's going, okay, I'm just going to talk to my doctor and really clarify that I'm safe to get this. And the d- medical people will just go, yes, yeah. no. I, I do know someone who's had quite a bad reaction to the AstraZeneca vaccine. And that is scary. I totally get it. But I just, I still think the pros outweigh the cons. Absolutely. I, you know, unless the vaccine will kill me or leave me with chronic symptoms <laughs> in the way that COVID could. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have it, you know. I think it's good that they stopped giving AstraZeneca to younger people because obviously it having been developed for older people and the risk of blood clots, especially there was the risk of um, a pl- blood clot in like a part of your brain and it kind of instantly kills you. Like it wasn't just blood clots anywhere. It's like a very specific one that you die from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That I totally get why, you know, they stopped giving AstraZeneca to younger people. I think that was the right step, especially seeing as there are other vaccines available, you know. Yeah. Um, I still think if someone offered me AstraZeneca now, I'd probably take it. Really? You know, yeah, because I think I'd, the, the risk of having the deadly blood clot is very, very slim. Yeah. Much slimmer than any risk on like most medications that you take. Yeah, um, that's true. And um, I would, I would take three days of feeling under the weather over having to worry about getting COVID all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I would take all, I would take three, four days off work mm. and just go, you know, have sick 
Yeah. And then just be like, okay, I'm recovering yeah. from my, you know. But I know a couple of people who are from work who've already had their Pfizer jabs. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, one of them um, just said, I had a runny nose, like a constant runny nose the day after I got it. Yeah. No, they are better. Pfizer, they're giving Pfizer and Moderna to young people here and the side effects are a lot less. Um done with us. Yeah. Like it's definitely the best um, choice. But. but I think the funniest one was one of my friends who was a camera operator, he just couldn't lift one of his arms very high. <laughs> like the first day after he had the yeah, vaccine. Yeah, because of where, the, like, I can't lift it. where the syringe went in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, oh, <laughs> my muscles are aching. I have I heard. Like, oh, that's really quite I funny. I should that, that, that. I have heard that that hurts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> worse than any other vaccine. Um, Which, yeah, like sucks. But again, I take it. <laughs> Fine. Oh yeah, I mean, just just jab it in me and I'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> just, just just give it to me at this point. Um, I'd rather I'd rather be able to, you know, if sort of safely, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot, of, you know, in the word safely, be able to see some of my friends who I haven't seen in you know ages, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and travel interstate again because I haven't been out of New South Wales, which is um, one of the states in Australia. Yeah, and you know. It's it just kind of for over a year now. Yeah. And I would love to go and visit friends. Oh, hon, I haven't been out of London for and, a year. Like, Yeah. Like, <laughs> how bizarre is that? Then, you know, I actually haven't been out of Sydney. I haven't been out of Sydney really other yeah. than going up to the Blue Mountains for a weekend. Even that was surreal. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you must be going bonkers. Well, it's actually really pissing me off because <laughs> <laughs> because I we tried getting home to Germany three times. Um, well, actually, yeah. this coming one is the third time. But we bought a car in October because we have a cat and, like, we got the kitten in the first lockdown. So the only life he knows is with us around 24-7. Um, yeah. So, yeah, be like, going home to Germany very much kind of meant taking the cat with us. And then also, obviously, being in your own car means staying a lot safer than if you're getting in a train or on a plane with loads of other people. So we got a car in yeah. October with, like in order to drive home in it like that was the main purpose of the car um yeah and it was for christmas we wanted to go home for christmas because by then yeah neither of us had seen our family for neither for for almost a year um and then literally th- 3 days or something before we were meant to actually go um the uk enforced a travel ban oh. and and Germany went into a lockdown. Of course it did, yeah. Um, so so there wasn't, you know, and then with travel bans, obviously, like, you're still allowed to travel in certain circumstances, but they're basically, like, funeral wedding. Yeah, yeah. If you need to for work or if you need to for education, like, that kind of thing. And we were just going home to see our families. So, um, yeah, so that meant we couldn't go home. And we had Christmas here instead and we got a Christmas tree like days before Christmas because we hadn't put up any decorations because we, we thought we wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, you know, and it was it was nice. It was quaint. It was our own Christmas. But like we wanted to see our families. Yeah. Um, so that happened. And then my oldest friend, the one I was speaking about earlier, um, is getting married on mm. the 4th of July. 3rd of July? 3rd of July. Um, and her bachelorette party slash Hindu, whatever you want to call it, um, was meant to be on the 8th of May. And mm. the UK travel ban was still in place until like the 20th. So again, meant I was missing that. Yeah. Um, 
now it's been moved because Germany has been in lockdown to the 12th of June, but I still can't make it then because I can't go to Germany that early in one one piece because her wedding being on the 3rd of July and we were planning to be there two weeks beforehand because like the whole 10 day quarantine and Germany are doing it basically so that it's 10 days. But if you have a negative test in the beginning, you can stop quarantining after five. Okay. Um, and so we thought if we get there two weeks before the wedding, we're safe. Even if we, even if we have to quarantine for 10 days, we're safe. Yeah. And now they have classified the UK as a high risk territory and oh. go coming from the UK, you have to quarantine for two weeks, negative test or no. <sighs> so, and that's a massive pain because we were going to go on the Saturday and the wedding is on a Saturday, but having to quarantine 14 days means that being there two weeks early only gives us 13 days. Um, yeah. So we have to somehow get there at least a day earlier. Um, and then also we thought having to quarantine five days leaves us plenty of time to see family, but having to quarantine for 14 days and then go to the wedding basically means we go to Germany, we see nobody for two weeks, we go to the wedding and then we go home, which massively sucks. So yeah, we're trying to figure that one out at the minute, but it's just every time that we want to go home, something happens, something happens. That's just like, nope, (laughs) here you go. More difficulties. Yeah. More roadblocks for you. You're welcome. Um so yeah, we're having to figure that one out at the minute, but it just sucks. It really sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's oh, I don't envy you. I mean it's it's the same for some of like when the state borders here mm. have our their lockdowns and whenever there's a COVID spike now everyone just shuts their borders for two weeks. Ugh. And around Christmas, um, there was like the biggest thing where you know the northern beaches had a spike, which is like if you're in Australia, it's just like in Sydney, mm-hmm. it's like north of the the Harbour Bridge. Mm-hmm. So like if you go up a fair few suburbs, but they they all went into lockdown, and so the Greater Sydney, everywhere in the Greater Sydney, no one could leave. Oh man! Like in terms of interstate. Because Sydney was a high risk. So people who I knew were going back to Western Australia to, you know, Perth couldn't go home. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, I have Christmas plans. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, that happened. Go to Brisbane and- that happened over Christmas here. They were locking down kind of within the country. Um, and oh. it was, it, I, I despise this government, like totally openly saying that. I think the conservatives are absolute trash. <laughs> but um, they basically, what they did was stress that they wouldn't do a lockdown over Christmas because Christmas is important, blah, 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 for weeks. Like for weeks it was, don't worry, like you'll be able to have a Christmas at least with like two households, whatever. Yeah. And then days before Christmas, I think two or three days before Christmas, they suddenly were like, from tonight at 7 p.m., lockdown you're not allowed to go anywhere which had the opposite effect of what you would try to achieve because it meant that suddenly people had like eight hours to get on a train home yeah and so everyone was at the major train stations trying to get on a train and you suddenly had masses of people mingling everywhere because you couldn't space out people going home anymore it was suddenly everyone had to go home now yeah and they're just they're just utter idiots i you're talking to someone who, you know, hates your government too, so don't worry. Um, I, you don't oh, care. no, I know you do. I mean, <laughs> don't worry. Okay, I know. I have no doubt. I just I just love that, um, you know, the, the current PM, it just looks like he's walked, you know, he's a homeless person in his suit. No, it's just, he's, but, he's but people buy into it. It's his whole, like, trope. It's, it's on purpose. I know. 
And people are just like, oh, Boris. I'm like, stop calling him Boris. You don't call any other politician by their first name. I know. Like, no one else. It's part of his image to make him more like one of the people. But he's really not. Like, we just found out that he spends £800 on takeout a week. (sighs) He's not one of you guys. Like, he's not. I mean, you know, if you could spend eight hundred pounds on takeout, I still wouldn't. Like... What a massive waste of money! I would just, no, I, I would just hire a personal chef. Surely, over three thousand pounds a month gets me a personal chef. Like, surely you'd hire, right? Like, I'd just hire my own personal chef instead. It's just a massive waste of money. <laughs> um, you know, I've got so many issues of what's a, you know, a waste of money, but you do. <laughs> That's a long it's, debate it's, about what I think. It's the most corrupt government that this country has seen in a while, and no one does anything about it. Like, everyone's kind of aware, but people are just like, oh, you know, but they still do a good job. They don't. They really don't. No. And also, even if they did, it's not an excuse for corruption. No. And, I, and I, like, I... taking taxpayers' monies. I don't understand why. I've said this to many people now. You know how, like, the French riot at everything. Yes. Like something bad happens and French is burning, like cars <laughs> burning on the street and like stores being thrown in. I'm not saying we should do that, but sometimes I wonder why we aren't. I mean, you know, just lead by French example, really. Um, and they do do it really well, though. I will say that. They, <laughs> they know how to riot. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, I think also though this is this is kind of like a, a statement on a lot of politicians these days. It's not just the the British um, parliamentary, um, but it's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if they're doing good with COVID or not. A lot of it is corrupt. Yeah, and I think when you're voted like when you're part of the people, you're you know you're just thinking about the people you're aware that you are one of us but the the problem is most politicians aren't any of us mm-hmm. they're just you know greedy men putting money in their pockets or you know or very privileged women mm-hmm. you know also putting money in their pockets and not to say everyone is like this yeah but there are a lot of politicians out there who are just only thinking of themselves 100 percent and you know, like the running joke we have in um, New South Wales at the moment is that Sydney is, you know, completely under construction. It has been under construction for the last five years. Right. It is apparently under construction for the next five years mm. um, just because they keep wanting to build these um, transport systems that are taking forever to build. And, like, understandably, there's a lot of, you know, restructuring they have to do to the city. But in terms of tourism, mm-hmm. Sydney looks ugly as anything. It just doesn't look nice to walk through. It looks really average. You don't want to be in it. And mm-hmm. as a local, I'd rather spend my time in my local areas than I would in the CBD. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a shame because the CBD businesses that have been there since, like, you know, forever, some of them, are really kind of just hoping that locals come to the city or tourists come to the mm-hmm. city to buy stuff. Yeah. And especially during the pandemic, some of them didn't survive. Yeah. So, you know, there's that whole aspect where it's, you know, as – as whether you're not, or you're a federal government or a state government, or however you approach it, it, you've got to think about the people. You've got to really think about the small businesses, the sm- you know, and also just everyone making absolutely money and to to survive. Mm. And I think one of the things that drives me batty about the the Australian government is they don't give a flying fuck about the arts industry, yeah. and you know, the arts industry is what 
kept a lot of people happy during the pandemic. Yeah, same here now. I know last time we spoke, I was incredibly frustrated about the government supporting every sector except for the entertainment sector. Yeah. And it not making any sense even economically because the arts and entertainment sector brings more money than the football sector or like, you know, the the big ones where they're, they're so crazy about like, oh my God, let's support our football. It's like, well, yeah, let's support the football. But honestly, your football players get paid millions every year anyway. I feel like they'll be fine. Um, you know, whereas <laughs> theatre consists of freelancers where loads of them don't have any savings, anything to fall back on. And, yeah. it, and the sector makes you more money. So wouldn't it make sense to support it? It just, yeah, didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I am 100% with you. And it's a lot of my contention about, you know, the sport in general during the pandemic um, is it should have been local teams in local areas, mm-hmm. not international teams. Yeah, and, I agree. And, you know, just, just a prime example of the Australian Open, which happens in Melbourne, is just a prime example of, like, don't bring people from other countries and still have them quarantine. Just leave them at, yeah. like, leave them uh, at home. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's not, you know, being rude or anything. It's just for the safety of everyone. It's just also, if, if nothing else is allowed to happen, surely people will survive a year without sports. The way that we've survived a year without theatre, yeah. like... Come on. Really? <laughs> no, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, you know, but this, it, I've, it could be a long-running debate about whether or not we think the, the – but this is also the thing. I go to other people. It's like, oh, my impact won't make a difference. I'm like, no, speak up. Because the, yeah. the more people who speak up, the better we are supported completely, by yeah, our, completely. You know, if, our And if we voices. don't speak up, no one will know that there's a problem at all. No. No, 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 100%. Um, you know, in the same way that, you know, people have always said like, well, me stopping, like me not eating meat won't make a difference where so many people have stopped eating meat now or or started having more vegetarian and vegan yeah. meals that all of the fast food restaurants are starting to put more veggie options on their menu. And if that isn't a reflection of mm. change, you know, being being caused by the consumer... Not that I, I'm not saying yeah. it's our responsibility, like <laughs> the responsibility is definitely with the industry, but the consumers can make a difference yeah. and we as citizens can make a difference, you know, but if we don't act in our own best interests, then who will? Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And I and I could not stress that enough because it, it drives me batty Yeah. that, um you know, that... That is not an option for people to really realise. No, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it's bizarre. Mm. Um, you know, but I think, yeah, in terms of that, that's also why I'm so like, I guess, you know, I come from a perspective of just also trying to be proactive on social media and everything about these sort of issues, mm-hmm. but also taking a standpoint of just being like, you know, wanting to make sure I'm doing it in the appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And that is a very much like not just shaking my fist. Yeah. It's actually having like solid facts. Yeah. And go, here's what I actually know and here's what's true. Yeah. And people, you know, then don't go, right, here's my opinion and you suck. <laughs> and it's like, well, are you going to listen to me or not? Like, yeah. You know, it, it's no skin off my teeth if you don't listen to me. I just don't want to waste my time on you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that, there's a lot of that unfortunately in the world, mm-hmm. and it is changing. There is a lot of there is a lot less um, ignorance 
than there was. But yeah, there's still, you know, it's still a slow process. Well, and, and every movement always has an anti-movement. Like there will always be people yes. who are so strongly against change that they'll get violent yeah. and, you know, there will always be conflict. It's unavoidable. Um, but yeah, I don't think that should stop us. No. You know? I think I'd, I just like that we're not conflicting people. I like it that we're very like passionate people. <laughs> And we try and do things in a non-conflicting way. Yeah, we do it in a very, we do it in a very like caring, but but also like educational. Well, I think way. it comes from a place of care. You know, it's because we want the yeah. world to be a better place. It's not because we want. We don't want to. We have no interest in oppressing anyone. Or no. Well, you know, quite the opposite. So, you know. Yeah. I know a lot of people who disagree wouldn't be able to see it that way. I guess, but. Yeah, it comes. It absolutely comes from a place of of care and wanting to make a positive yeah. impact. You know, um, but yeah, <laughs> I, th I think slowly over time we will. Um, I think that is a perfect point to wrap the conversation up. <laughs> um, I've, I've, you know, it's very strong. It's very strong, but I think it's a positive note on the future of, mm -hmm. of the world. Um, but no, thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful chat. Thank it's you. been very it's been very educational um, for me <laughs> it has. from a perspective of from a perspective of things that I didn't know. Oh yeah, lots of <laughs> um, what was it? Language, sexuality, patriarchy, <laughs> politics. Yeah, yeah, you've covered a broad. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you've covered a broad spectrum today of um, <laughs> of ideology, um, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> Um, but no, where can people find you on the wonderful, uh, socials? Oh, um, my Instagram and my Twitter are both at I'm Sarah Kolb. I am, and then Sarah with a H in the end, Kolb, K-O-L-B. <laughs> I'm Sarah Kolb. Yeah. Um, yeah. Instagram and Twitter. And then, and then Facebook, she has an acting site as well. Oh, I do have an acting site. So yeah. Um, it's. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I'm not super active on it, so it's not on my radar as much. Um, but yeah, it's Sarah J. Kolb, um, if you wanted to find the page on Facebook. And I have a website as well, although the website is for voiceover stuff, which is, again, I'm imsarahkolb.com. <laughs> Ooh, where did the I am Sarah Kolb come from? Is it just because it was easy? Oh, oh my goodness. Um, no, it's because my boyfriend made up a theme song, basically. Um, whenever I'm doing a self-tape for acting... Um, Sometimes we obviously you have to do an ident where you introduce yourself and then you do like profiles and hands. Yeah. And I always start mine just because it's my name. I'm like, hi, I'm Sarah Kolb. And <laughs> at some point, Seb started singing, I'm Sarah Kolb. <laughs> I'm Sarah. So it kind of became a theme song. Um, <laughs> my own personal theme song and yeah so then when he was building my voiceover website we were trying to come up with ways to call it because it's just kind of like I don't know Sarah Kolb voiceover seemed a bit boring or I don't know and so it just kind of became I'm Sarah Kolb and then I changed my social handles to match that yeah so yeah <laughs> nice oh, I love that I love that yeah. so much <laughs> Can you please send me that theme song? Oh, because I need to hear. I this mean, now. we haven't produced it. It's just something he sings. <laughs> no, you but know, you need to it's now. Just the way that in relationship you do strange things and you like kind of you're silly with each other. It's just a 
It's just the thing. He just starts singing it. Oh, <laughs> I feel like you need to produce it as a, as a thing now that I just heard for everything. Oh. It's just great. Um, but no, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And if you want to check out more episodes, they're available on Apple and Spotify. And I will be speaking with another guest next week. And I will speak to you all later. Goodbye. Goodbye.